Welcome to Lakeland Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Lakeland, please visit our website at lakeland.church. There's more. There's more. I, I, in fact, I just feel like the Lord's just sent. I, I'm looking forward to kind of getting out of the way of the Lord this morning. Um, I think at the end here, we're just going to have a sweet, holy moment. I'm excited for what the Lord is going to continue to do here. All right, let's just dive right in. Last week, this is week two of Wanderers versus Conquerors, or Wanderers or Conquerors. And, uh, you know, we're talking about how do you live this, a conquering lifestyle versus a wandering lifestyle. We're looking at a, a story that happens in Scripture where the people of Israel, they kind of experience both. And it's really just this question is, are there some things that we can learn in terms of how we interact with God that set us up to be conquerors in life versus just kind of wander through life? And last week we talked about how our story, our history can either become our stumbling block or our starting block. Are we exploding off of this or is it our excuse to why we are the way we are and why we're acting the way we are? And kind of no matter what your story is or what kind of story you started from, inevitably that started to create in you a sense of your identity, right? Your history, your story, your upbringing, it started to create, it has created in you a sense of who you are, your identity. Uh, The identity that at least I perceive who God made me to be. One of my favorite musicals, if any of you guys know me, you know I love musicals. One of my favorite musicals of all times, anyone want to guess what it is? Yes, someone got it, Les Mis. Les Mis is one of my favorites. I loved it. I've seen it multiple times uh, in person and such a good musical. But there's, if you know the storyline, there's this, the, one of the main characters, Jean Valjean, he's wrestling through his identity. He even sings a song in the middle of that musical called, Who Am I? Who am I? And uh, I'm not even going to try it. But anyhow, uh, he sings a song. And really, the whole song is about wrestling through kind of who is he because he's this guy who stole a loaf of bread when he was young, ends up in jail, tries to escape from jail, gets more jail time, eventually gets out uh, like as he's supposed to at the end. But he's on probation, breaks his probation. And then you've got this guy, Inspector Javert, who's like chasing him, trying to get him and capture him and throw him back in prison because he like broke his parole. And um, the whole... Uh, song, Who Am I, is wrestling through, who am I? Am I this person that Inspector Javert perceives me as and who has declared me to be, which is this criminal, or am I this one who is now living kind of this redeemed life and he's wrestling through, who am I? Am I Jean Valjean or am I 24601, which is his prison number? Which is he? And, and this is this question that I think a lot of us, even the guy that we're looking at today in scripture, he is wrestling through, that, that whole same question, who am I? For all of us, if I could say the question for us maybe today that we're going to try to t- tackle is, who am I that God created me to be? Who am I according to what God would say and who he created me to be. We're following the story of Moses and the people of Israel. And Moses is actually going to find himself kind of in this same boat wrestling through, who am I? Uh, his story in many ways is like Jean Valjean. He's running. He's going to find himself running from his past, running from the situation that we're going to look at. He's going to find himself in today. And he's going to ultimately kind of be dealing with this question of who did God create me to be? Uh, not just what did his family history kind of say he was or what did his cultural surroundings say he was, but who did God make him to be? And what we're going to see is there's a couple critical things that not only does he step into, but actually all of us, every single one of us here can actually do some of the same things. And those of you online, we can do some of these same things that 
Moses' experiences that helps him kind of propel into being a conqueror in, in his life. And so what we're doing is we're using a speech actually from the New Testament. Stephen is a guy, he's one of the New Testament leaders, uh, early church leaders. He's actually uh, coming face to face with a whole bunch of, I would call them spiritually wandering uh, leaders, and he's confronting them, and he's telling kind of this history, this uh, the story, if you will, of the Exodus and the people of Israel, and he's kind of saying, hey, look at how they wandered away from God, but God was continually faithful. And so in Acts chapter 7, he's giving this speech to try to help these religious leaders see how they've kind of gotten off. And so we're using that as kind of our template over these, this five-week series. And so it's found in Acts chapter 7. That's where we're going to start today. Acts chapter 7. Uh, let's dive into it. Verse 23 through 25 is where we're going to start. When Moses was 40 years old, okay, so he's grown up in Egypt. If you, were, if you weren't here last week, just go back and make sure to watch last week's message. But uh, basically, Moses ends up, he, he gets drawn out of the Nile River by Pharaoh's daughter, and she says, all right, I want, uh, actually, Moses' mom nurses him and then basically gives him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she adopts him. And he grows up in Egypt with kind of the finest education, everything. And, but he knows he's an Israelite. He knows he's a Jew. And at age 40, he decides to do something. He decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. And he saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and he avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Continue on. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them but they did not. It's interesting that at this early, uh, kind of early stage, before kind of uh, Moses' pretty amazing encounter he's going to have with God, he already senses that this is his call in life to rescue the people, rescue his people from what's going on in, in Egypt. But what's interesting is they reject him, even, even in this mo moment. So let's continue on, verse 26. Says this the next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting, and he tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, your brothers, why do you not, or, or why do you, oh, 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 go back. I didn't finish. I was a poor reader that time. Why, why do you want to hurt each other? Now we can move on. <laughs> but the man who was mistreating the others pushed Moses aside, said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me? As you killed the Egyptian yesterday, when Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and he had two sons. After 40 years had passed, pause, okay? Because there's a lot of years that just went by in just kind of a blip of a moment. Now remember, uh, Stephen is summarizing a story that almost everyone that he's talking to, they know the whole story, but you may not know the whole story, so let's kind of fill in the gaps. Let's go to Exodus chapter 2 and kind of see this story now play out in its fullness, okay? So this is Exodus chapter 2, verse 13. You're going to hear the same, uh, really the same story once again, but with a few details added. The next day, this is Moses, he went out and he saw two Hebrews fight. He asked uh, the one in the wrong, hey, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Okay, so we've already heard this. Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and he thought, what I did must have become known. See, he thought he'd gotten away with uh, killing that Egyptian. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. Okay, so this fills in a little bit of the gaps of that kind of encounter. Basically what Moses has done is he's run to the aid of these 
two Hebrews who are being, or this a Hebrew who is being mistreated by an Egyptian. He kills the Egyptian, avenges the, the Hebrew who's being mistreated. Uh, but then later he comes face to face with these two guys. The next day he's going, guys, why are you fighting with one another? And, and then they go, they call him out. What are you going to do? Kill us like you did the other guy? He's like, oh no, what I did has been found out. And it does get found out. Pharaoh finds out. Now he's grown up in Pharaoh's home, but you got to understand Pharaoh is just a title. Pharaoh's like a way of saying king. The, the king who was Pharaoh when Moses was a young child is probably not even around. It's probably the next guy's in line, the next guy's in line. And so uh, the, this next guy who may not have favor toward Moses is like, dude, you, you kill one of my Egyptians, I'm going to kill you. So although he's grown up in Pharaoh's home, now he, what he realizes, okay, I've got the Hebrews who are turning on me. I got the Egyptian king, Pharaoh, who's turning on me. No one's in my corner. And so I run, right? That's what he does. He finds himself running. He feels rejected by everyone. And at age 40, Moses kind of is going to, he's going to run for his life. He ends up in Midian. There he's going to get married. He's going to have some kids. And then 40 years are going to go by out in Midian. Okay, so now we're going to pick this thing up back in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7, verse 30. A lot of scripture. You guys can, you all alive? You all staying with me? All right, good. Okay. After 40 years, so he's been out in Midian for a long time, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to get a closer look, he heard the Lord say, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. All right, so there, I just want to make some observations out of, out of this encounter that Moses is going to have with God right now that we can uh, really embrace some of the similar things that Moses went through that actually help build our identity or build who we can be uh, in terms of what God is, so that we can be conquerors versus wanderers. And the first thing that we see Moses experience here is, is simply this. He recognizes uh, the presence of God. He recognizes the presence of God. In verse 32, it says, Moses, he trembles with fear when he sees this burning bush. And what he recognizes is God is here. And I love how God describes it. God describes it as this is holy ground. And now here's the question. What makes, what makes this holy ground? What makes it holy ground? It's holy because God's presence is there right? That's what makes it holy ground. God's presence is there. Now, I love that this happens in the desert. This happens in a place where probably Moses has been before. He's been, uh, you know, he's got sheep and he's, he's probably, he's got them on out and they're just kind of grazing and he's been out in this desert area before. It's probably not a totally new area to him. And yet he comes across a place where he's probably been before, many times before. It doesn't seem spectacular, but all of a sudden there's this bush. And I love it because there's not a whole lot less significant than a bush, right? There's not a whole lot of things less significant in our lives than a bush. And, and I love that it's not like the presence of, it's not like the, the Lord. I, th I think like if I was God, I would have been like, all right, got to get people's attention. Let's arrive in a great ancient oak tree, you know, like on the edge of the desert, something like that. But it's like, God's like, let's use uh, that bush over there. You know, it's just like some random bush. And that's, and that's what's so bizarre about it. It's so, I don't know, 
insignificant, if you will. And that's, that's where the Lord shows up. In this bush, just some random bush. And yet all of a sudden, God's presence is there and Moses recognizes it. And here's the, the point of why I would bother to just point out that it's a bush. Is I love how the Lord's presence so often shows up in my life in some of the most insignificant places. Where I'm, I wasn't like, it wasn't the great oak, if you will. It wasn't this amazing, significant moment. It was just like, I was... For me, I was like working out and I was listening to worship music and all of a sudden the presence of the Lord like landed on me. I was driving in my car, I was listening to worship music and all of a sudden the presence of the Lord was there. I was in the shower, I was listening. Yes, I listen to worship music a lot. I know you're catching the, and I do have speakers in all those places. And uh, anyhow, and the presence, I'll be standing in the back room. I walk across the back of this auditorium, you know, a dozen times every single week throughout, throughout the middle of the week. And yet I can be walking across on a Sunday morning and all of a sudden the presence of the Lord lands. And here's the thing, it's, it's, it's a space where I've been a hundred times before, but all of a sudden the presence of the Lord Lord is is there. Sometimes what can happen is is this. The normalcy of a location will sometimes kind of in our minds negate the significance of what God is up to in that space. I would argue God's presence probably shows up more in your life than you are aware. You just pass by him because it's in a normal place for you. Like I was just working out, I was just taking a shower, I was just driving in my car, I was just walking across the back of the auditorium. And you just pass by his presence and what he's up to in that space. Moses' words are insightful. It says that Moses trembled at, the pre- at his presence. He trembled. And that might actually, that, I would say that's a good giveaway for me in terms of how do I know when God's presence shows up is I often actually personally tremble. That would be, a, that's a, probably a pretty good uh, descriptor is I, I, I tremble, even if it's just for a moment. Have you ever heard people say, ooh, I got all the goosebumps from that moment? Now, I don't want to pretend that every goosebump is a God moment, okay? Or a God bump, if that's a thing. That, I, but I, I would argue that God often does show up in those moments and that God's presence is there in those moments. A lot of times we write them off as maybe a well-crafted, kind of well-directed emotional moment. My argument would be that a lot of well-crafted emotional moments, even in things like music and movies, they're actually, they're not just telling a story from this world, they're reflecting the glory of his world. So let me just give you an example. It's like last month, I was watching some random movie. I don't even remember what it was. I was trying to recall what it was. Um, I just couldn't bring it to the forefront of my mind. But I started crying in the middle of this movie. And when I was crying, like in this moment, I was trying to figure out why am I crying besides that it seemed like a well-crafted emotional moment. And, and I was like, and all of a sudden, I felt like the Spirit of God was like, this is my kingdom. It was a a redemptive moment in the movie, and all of a sudden I was like, this reflects the kingdom of God. Now, is the director a Christian? Was he trying to portray God's presence? I'm not pretending that he was, but here's the deal. We're We're made in the image of God, which means that we have this a connection actually to our creator. We understand eternity. It's actually, scripture says that we are, that eternity is written on our hearts. So someone who doesn't believe in God can actually reflect the glory of God. Are you alive? Okay, so what can happen even in secular music, secular movies, things like this, is you can actually see a redemptive moment that reflects the glory of God that I believe the presence of God can land in that moment. 
Now, in, in this case, the bush, <laughs> Moses didn't prep the bush. There was no like orchestrated moment. It was like God's presence just landed there. But if I could encourage you in any sort of a way, it's just to be aware that the presence of God uh, might show up more often in your life (laughs) and you might just miss it. And you can actually set the stage though for your life, for the presence of God to, to be displayed. And here's how you do this. Like, like I just described, I listen to worship music a lot. And then the Holy Spirit just lands in these moments. You might say, well, why does that happen? It's because I'm setting the environment that feels like his home. That's why. So when you set the environment that goes, that reflects his glory and reflects his home, his presence is likely going to land there. Are you getting this? Okay, so the first thing is recognize his presence. Second thing that Moses does is this, respond to the presence of God. It says that he, in his own will, covered his face. There was this natural response to the presence of the Lord. Then God says, take off your shoes for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Scholars say that removing the sandals uh, demonstrates Moses' reverence and obedience to God's call. As Matthew Henry's commentary put it, he said, putting off shoes was a token of respect and, and submission. Simple observation is this, though. When the Lord is present, something's supposed to change. When the Lord is present, we are, there, there, it demands a response. And sometimes our miss is this. We come into the presence of the Lord. We have this encounter with God and we walk away not changed. Have, have you ever had this where you like have this moment with God where he like so clearly speaks something over your heart, over your mind? Maybe it's identity. Maybe it's something you're supposed to do. And then Monday happens. Anyone hate Mondays? <laughs> Monday happens and it seems to derail you from everything that the Lord spoke over you on Sunday. And you're like, oh man, I felt like the Lord was saying, do this, go here. And you're like, I, I had this holy moment and then I, I, I just forgot about it. I say, That's a total miss. It's one thing to recognize the spirit of God. It's another thing to respond to his spirit. Recognize his presence, but then respond. It should change us. It demands a change. All right, let's continue in the story. Acts 7, 34. I I have indeed seen the oppression of my people. This is God talking uh, to Moses in Egypt. I've heard their groanings. I've come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses they had rejected with the words, who made you ruler and judge? So the, the, the people had rejected Moses. They'd asked the question, who are you? Who are you ruler? Who are you judge? And he goes, he was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself. I love that. I'm going to come back to it. Through, through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This may be the most important part of this whole passage. Is that they are questioning who he is and what he's called to do. Ruler and judge. That's identity and and assignment. And he goes, listen, he was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself. See, at the end of the day, what God says about you and what God calls you to do is more important than what anyone else questions over you. What God himself says. And so here's kind of this this third little observation in, in this encounter. It's this, is listen to the identity that he speaks over you. As my wife was alluding to in your life, you have identity spoken over you constantly. Uh, You've had identity nurtured into you 
to you. You've had identity culturally surround you and speak things over you. And Moses' identity is being spoken over him by God himself. By God himself. And the word that God uses to describe this identity is ruler. The Greek word there can be translated ruler, commander, chief, leader. Moses has been doing anything but that for the last 40 years, right? Really, last 80 years of his life. He hasn't been doing any of that. And God says, nope, that's your identity. One of the biggest lies from the enemy enemy around identity is this. You can decide who you want to be. Now, it sounds nice, right? We hear parents say that to their kids all the time. You can be whatever you want to be, which I understand. They're trying to say, hey, whatever dream you want to chase after, whatever job you want to do, whatever you you feel called to really go after, you can accomplish it. I get what you're trying to say, but our deal should not be saying, hey, I can be whatever I want to be. The only question that should matter is who did God call me to be? Not what do I want to become, But what did he want me to become? What did he make me to be? That's really the only question we should be asking around identity. You should not be pursuing who you want to be, but instead who God created you to be. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14, he's talking about um, how we're all parts of, of, of the body of Christ, okay? And he describes this. Even so, the body's not made up of one part of the, uh, one part, but many. If, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for, any, for that reason stop being a part of the body. Continue on. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where, where would the sense of smell be? Now, it's so important. But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as who wanted them to be? Uh, what you want to be? No, as he wanted them to be. See, this is the the critical part here at the end of the the passage in in Acts where it says that he sent Moses to be ruler and deliverer by God himself. That message is delivered by God himself and that we are, we're called to be something as he wanted us to be. One of the biggest misses in our lives is us trying to play God in the role of determining our identity and our purpose. As opposed to asking the creator who we are actually created to be. You know, Ephesians 2.8, it says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he had in mind for us to do before the foundations of the earth. For we are his workmanship. That, that word that gets translated as workmanship, it's actually the Greek word poe, poema. It's where we get the word poem. It's, it's God's artistic expression is you. And for you to say, here's what I want to be, is robbing the, art, the artist of the artistic expression he wants to express in what he created you to be. And, by the way, the rest of that verse, which he had in mind for you to be before the foundations of the earth. Meaning, before the earth was ever created, he said, this is what I want you to be. This is your identity. So instead of us saying, I want to be what I want to be, say, God, what do you want us to be? Who did you call me to be. My kingdom identity, my true identity was determined by God long ago. Anything other than it is a poor substitute and an empty substitute to the real thing. You all still alive? Okay, last point. <laughs> the Moses does, he steps into the assignment 
that he has for him and for us, stepping to the assignment that God has for you. So Acts 3, or 7.35, he says, you are ruler and deliverer. That's his purpose. That's his assignment. You're going to be the deliverer. And what's interesting is these are the very two things that the Hebrew uh, guys questioned. Who made you ruler and judge? They question identity and purpose. And these are the very two things that God speaks over Moses, identity and purpose. You want to know who made him ruler and judge? God did. That's who made him. God spoke identity over him and he spoke assignment over him. Final observation. God's, God's going to, uh, I'm not going to read the whole uh, chapter in Exodus, but God is going to equip Moses with, I don't know, quite a, a group of uh, tricks up his sleeve, if you will. He's got this staff in his hand that he can throw on the ground and turns into a snake. Don't accidentally drop your staff, right? He's got this, he can put his hand in his cloak and it comes out with leprosy, then puts it back in his cloak and pull it out and it's gone. Pretty cool trick, right? He can take uh, water from the Nile River, pour it out on the ground and it turns into blood. And all of these things are to convince Pharaoh that God is real, that God is legitimate. So even after all those things, he's got this bag of tricks and God says, go now and tell Moses to let my people go. They even ask, hey, who should, Moses asks, who should I say has sent me? And God says, I am. That's it. Tell him I am sent you. That's God's way of saying I am the beginning and the end. I'm the alpha and the omega. I am all powerful. I am. Meaning you don't really get to question. I'm all. I, I'm before all. I created all. I got all the answers. I've got all the dominion. I've got all the power. I am sent you. And with all that and the bag of tricks, Moses comes up with a good excuse of why he shouldn't go. He says this in Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. Check out what he says. Moses said to the Lord, pardon, <laughs> really great bag of tricks. I understand I am is sending me. Pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since. Uh, you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. This is his way of saying, hey, I'm not very good with my words. And you're calling me to go and deliver a message. Anyone good at coming up with excuses of why we shouldn't be obedient to the Lord? Probably almost all of us, right? You're like, I, listen, I can come up with an excuse any day and every day for the reason of why I shouldn't step into the thing that I think the Lord is calling me uh, to, to do. I, I don't want to talk with my coworkers at work about God because if I do, then I'm, kind of, I'm mixing work and faith. I don't want to be accused of doing something I shouldn't do. Uh, I, I don't want to give to the Lord yet because our finances are still kind of a mess. We haven't even worked that out in our heads yet. Um, I, I don't want to pray with my spouse or my kids because I lost my temper um, with them earlier today. I, I've blown it in life and I'll just feel like a hypocrite. See, we, we come up with a whole list of excuses of why we shouldn't step into the thing that the Lord is calling us to do. And yet, the biggest question is not what do people think of me? What do I think of me? What are my hurdles? What are my hindrances? Or why I think I might fail in the assignment? It's simply the question is this. Who did he say I am? And what's he calling me to do? That's it. And the Lord is actually going to, he's going to be so gracious. He's going to provide Moses with his brother Aaron. Moses says, or God says, hey, all right, I'll send Aaron. He'll speak on your behalf. Now go and deliver the message. 
And Aaron will go and be a part of that. But the principles of, of moving into being a conqueror and not a wanderer, it's, it's you recognize the presence of God. You respond to the presence of God. It should change you. You listen to who he calls you to be, his identity, and what he calls you to do. The assignment he's called you uh, toward. One of the guys who I've, I've been more impressed with my entire, than in my whole life, who I think understands his identity probably better than anyone else, is Pastor Richard right here at Lakeland. If, if you have been around Lakeland you, for a long period of time, you probably know Pastor Richard. If you haven't been around Lakeland very long, you probably think Richard works on the parking team outside. That's probably where he's, he's usually out there somewhere. Um, Richard, he's our executive pastor here. And um, he, here's what you need to know. He loves God with all of his heart. He loves his wife. He loves his kids. He loves our staff. He loves the local church. Um, and God has uniquely wired him. Um, he will say this, that he goes, he goes, I realized long ago that I love being a number two. Now, when I say a number two, please don't for a moment think that I'm thinking in terms of value. I think Richard is a number one in value. But he wants to be, he, he knows the Lord's called him to be a number two in terms of leadership. He goes, Josh, I love that you lead us forward. Like, he goes, I never want to call the shots, but I'll execute the shots. And he, well, I might be able to vision cast and, uh, and teach and preach and things like that. Richard can administrate and execute and build a team and lead a team to a win uh, better than anyone else I know. In fact, uh, I would argue that he's probably more important here at Lakeland than I am. Uh, everything that happens here is because of Pastor Richard, honestly. He's, he's just, well, it's actually God. It's all God, and he would say that as well. Um, but Richard is so important. But one of the things I've been so impressed with in all of my years is I've never under, seen a guy who's more confident in who he, he's called to be and his assignment. And it's not that we're all called to ministry. But we are all called to, a, we all have a kingdom identity and a kingdom assignment. That might be in the marketplace, it might be in a church setting, it might be in a ministry setting, it might be lots of different, it's in your family setting, it's all those places. But do you know what your kingdom identity is and your kingdom assignment? Now here's if you're like, Lord, I want to hear it. I want to know what it is. Let me tell you where it starts. It starts exactly where Moses began, in a holy moment. See, here's what happens in a holy moment. You want to know what happens in a holy moment? Everything of this world falls apart, including your perceived identity that you've spoken over yourself. I find that in a holy moment, I come undone. And as I crumble, the Lord rebuilds me exactly as he originally intended and created me to be. And so my prayer for every one of us here is actually to come into the presence of God because in the presence of God, you'll come undone. And in that undone state, the Lord can build you back up exactly as who he's made you to be and he'll be able to give you an assignment exactly as he's speaking it over you. So the worship team's gonna come on out and they're just gonna lead us with a, a, a final song here. And, and my prayer is actually... It, it, this, we're not ending with a, who you say I am, identity stuff. We're ending with this moment of uh, my prayer is that we just land in the throne room of God. In a holy moment, a burning bush moment. Kind of like, oh, you, you just sat in a random chair this morning. You're sitting on your, uh, on your couch at home right now. And you're like, this is a normal chair. Or, or it's the chair where the Lord is going to meet you in the next couple minutes. It's, it's, it's a space where the Lord says, I'm just going to just descend. I'm just going to 
pour down my spirit in this place. And, and if you are willing to just seek, recognize his presence and respond to his presence, maybe you'll come undone in this moment. And that's okay. And then at the end, when, when we're done singing, the service is over, we're, our prayer partner is actually going to be up here at the front because I think it's out of that place of a holy moment that you're perfectly positioned to now uh, kind of go after identity. And our prayer partners, we've just, I want to encourage them to pray toward identity. Of course, if you have prayer needs in any, in any need, um, you can come on forward and we'll pray for you. But um, we're just going to go after identity. But I think it has to come out of a place of a holy moment. So let me pray. And then the worship team will lead us in the song. Holy Spirit, we invite your presence here. We know you're already here. So as we're two or more gathered, there you are. Perhaps, Lord, we've been in this space many times before, maybe sat in this chair many times before, maybe have walked in and out of a service or sat even at home watching a service and have left unchanged. But Lord, would we, I just pray, God, would you just meet us right now in this space? Would you pour down and give us a holy moment? Lord, if, if we come undone, we're okay with that. Because it's in this place of becoming undone that we can be built back up as you see us to be. You can de declare identity over us and declare assignment over us. And so, Lord, may this be a holy moment. You're worthy of all glory and honor and praise. You are holy. You are the great I am. Wreck us of all things from this world that seem to rob us of a correct view of who you are as a holy and perfect, glorious, loving, gracious, forgiving, marvelous God. Holy Spirit, fall upon your people, that we might be undone. That everything that the world has declared over us would break off of us. We'd be shattered off of us. God, pour in this place. Pour into homes. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. If you'd like to partner with Lakeland in helping people follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and commit their lives to the mission of Jesus, you can contribute to the mission by visiting lakeland.church forward slash give.